Well, again, good morning and welcome to Grumlaw. We are so happy that you are here today. We're so glad that you took the risk to walk through our doors and show up here today because we know that, that it can feel risky, that walking into a new place can certainly feel intimidating, but hopefully you already feel a little bit more at ease. And uh, again, we're so glad that you decided to show up here and decided to make Grumlaw a part of your week. Again, you are so welcome here. And our hope and our prayer is that you will let this be just like a one-time thing, that you'll come back two, three, four, five times. You'll really get a feel of what we're all about here. And even more than that, we think that if you come in a couple times, that you'll get hooked, that God, as hokey as this maybe even sounds right now, will actually start doing things in your life in such a way that you'll look forward to being here every week. Uh, maybe as even far-fetched as that might sound, but uh, you'll be excited for this. This will be something that really will be a part of your weekly rhythm. So again, we are so happy that you're here today. As we've already alluded to, uh, we started, if you weren't here last week, this brand new series called The Grumlaw 7 which we recognize that for most of you has little to no relevance to your life at this point. But we're confident that if you stick with us for this entire series, that one, you'll understand what in the heck the Grumlaw 7 actually are, but even more importantly than that, you'll understand why the Grumlaw 7 actually does have value to every single one of our lives. And so without further ado, if you're wondering, what is the Grumlaw 7? We're gonna show you that right now. Go ahead and put that slide up there. Here are the Grumlaw 7. Weekends, baptism, daily encounter, generosity, groups, serve, and share. Now. I want to throw a disclaimer out there. We are not nearly arrogant enough to tell you that we came up with these things. We just put them in an order of seven. We tried to make it logical to understand. Obviously, these things have been long uh, around long before we ever stepped foot on the earth. So again, we're not taking credit for that. We just tried to put it in an order. And what we're going to be doing here over these seven weeks is going through these things one by one. And we're confident, this is why we have the Grom Law 7, that regardless of where you were at on this whole faith journey, that your next step is somewhere here along the Grumlaw 7. What's really exciting is if these seven elements are a part of your life, we are confident that your relationship with Jesus is probably on the right track. And as we talked about last week, if these seven things are a part of your life, then there's a probably a really good chance that you are moving closer to God. And the incredible thing about that is as we move closer to God, he inevitably moves closer to us. And so last week we kicked things off and we talked about weekends. And we don't have time to unpack that all over again, but man, if you were not here last week, I would really hope that you would go online, go to grumlaw.com, click on recent messages, and listen to that message there. It'd be really good if you tracked with us for these entire seven weeks. Hopefully some of you are taking advantage of that. But this week, we are going to be talking about baptism. And before we go any farther today, I'm just going to throw a disclaimer out there. I'm going to be really blunt and honest with you. I absolutely have an agenda this morning, and I'm going to tell you what that agenda is. If you are a Jesus follower, if you sit here today and you call yourself a Christian, and since calling yourself a Christian, since identifying with Jesus, you have not taken the step to be baptized, I want you to get baptized. I really don't want you to walk out these doors today without signing to be up to be baptized. So again, if you are a Jesus follower, and since making that decision to follow Jesus, you haven't been publicly baptized, I really, 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 really want you to take that step. So with that being said here, we'll move on, and hopefully it'll be a little bit more gracious here from here on out. Um, I alluded to this story here on uh, January 14th when we launched, uh, but it's definitely a story worth getting into a little bit more detail about. Uh, about a year ago, um, I was uh, fixing something in my utility room. I was actually changing a filter on my humidifier. And uh, down in my utility room, and I hate going in that room because I don't know how to fix anything in there. And so when I go in there, I just feel like, okay, here are these, all these problems, and I have no idea how to take care of any of them. I just feel like it's just a money pit. So anyway, I'm in there, and I'm taking care of the humidifier, and it's not working correctly, and I step off. And as I look up, uh, there, we have like nine-foot ceilings in there because it's not finished. I see the corner of, of what I think is, is a dollar bill. 
And I think, that's really weird. Why would there be money like in our utility room? Like, why is that there? And so I'd like, maybe it's just a piece of paper, but it's, it's just the tiniest smidgen of a corner. And so I'm like, okay. And so it, again, it's tall in there and I have really big ups because I'm a short white guy. And so I jump up and I, I kind of sweep across the top of this vent that it's sitting on and down comes to the ground, not a dollar bill, but a $100 bill. And it's kind of been nibbled on by some mice. And I'm like, what the heck? And so I yell to my wife, I'm like, Andrea. And she's upstairs and she comes down and she's holding our daughter in her hands. And she's like, what? I'm like, I just found this on top of the vent. Did you put this there? And I was pretty sure I knew the answer to this question. She's looking at me going, no, I didn't put that there. I'm like, okay, where did it come from? She's like, I don't know. And of course she asked the question that's begging to be asked, is there more? And I'm like, I don't know. So I get back up on the chair. And again, it's so tall that I can't see over the edge. So I'm just blindly sticking my hand over the edge of this vent. And it's nasty. I mean, tons of cobwebs, dead bugs, mouse poop, all this stuff going on. But I don't really care because there might be money, right? We'll do anything for money. And so I'm reaching back there and I'm just kind of grabbing this dusty paper that I'm like, I think this is more money. And I'm pulling it off and it's falling to the ground. My wife is down on the ground. She looks like she's in a game show contestant, right? She's like running around, like grabbing all this money. And I go, I think that's it. And she looks up at me and she goes, Shay, this is $1,500. And I'm like, what the heck? And we're looking at each other and then she asks the next question. She goes, you sure you got it all? And I'm like, not really. So I put the chair back down and I run out to my garage and I grab my ladder and a flashlight. And so now I can actually see over the edge of this vent. And my head's like right at the ceiling and I shine the light back there and I see an envelope that's been nibbled on by mice, and the mice have kind of moved and pushed this money around. And without that happening, I would have never actually found it. And I'm like, okay, and I have to take like a deep dive. Whoever put it back there, like really like stuck their arm back there, and they're probably taller than me. So I'm doing like this whole maneuver, like, like trying to avoid the cobwebs in my face. And I grab there, and I grab the envelope, and it's pretty thick. And I pull it out, and I quickly count it. There's another $4,000 sitting in my wall. We found that day $5,500, and we're just looking at each other like, what just happened? Now, do you suppose after that, my wife and I kind of kept that to ourselves? We're like, oh, this is cool. Let's make this our little secret. No, I'm telling all of you right now. No, for the next week, we didn't shut up about this. We called and FaceTimed so many people that night. I was texting pictures to my buddies that didn't answer their phone right away with like all the money spread like this. And I was like, hey, oh, you know, take it. I was like, look at this money I just found. We called so many people. Our poor daughter was so neglected that night while mom and dad were just FaceTiming and calling all these people. It was unbelievable. I was so excited, obviously. And I was definitely going to tell some people about it. Back in 2011, uh, the greatest movie of all time was released, a little movie by the name of Moneyball. Anybody ever seen Moneyball with Brad Pitt? Like three of you. Okay, so I have a homework assignment. When you all leave here today, the most important thing that you hear today, go watch Moneyball. Now, it's a movie that's about sports, and so some of you might automatically be like, all right, I'm not interested in that, but I promise. My wife doesn't really care about baseball, but she still loved watching this movie, Moneyball. And I love good movies, but I love it even more when they're movies that are really good, that are about sports, because I love sports so much. And um, for the next 48 hours, I made sure that basically every conversation that I had with another human being somehow circled back to the movie Moneyball, and I made sure that they knew that if they weren't planning on seeing the movie Moneyball, that their lives were out of order. Like, it's just, I mean, even now to this day, if Moneyball comes on TV, I always watch the movie. I have no control. I'll drop everything I'm doing. I'm like, I got to watch this for a little bit. I'm just hooked on this movie. Uh, this past year, I shared last week that I come from a family of deer hunters. And uh, this last year, I w this hunting season, just a couple of months ago, I was able to take the largest deer that I've ever shot before. And uh, I remember right after shooting it, 
I, I literally just put my hands in, into my face like this, and I was just like, oh, my gosh. And I was shaking so bad. And those of you that are hunters, you get that. Those of you that are not hunters, you're like, what is wrong with you? I know it doesn't make a lot of sense. But I was just so overwhelmed. And I got out of the stand. And once I realized that that deer was not going to get up and actually run away, it was that same moment all over again where I'm calling and I'm FaceTiming. And anybody that had ever told me they'd ever even hinted that they might enjoy hunting, they got a call or they got a text or, or they got a FaceTime from me that, that night. I was so excited to tell everyone about this. Now, you might be sitting here right now wondering, okay, why did you just tell us seemingly three random stories. The point is, whether it's big, and I would consider big finding $5,500 in your house that you didn't know was there, or little, seeing a movie that you thought was pretty good. When something exciting happens in your life, you tell people about it. When something good happens in your life, you don't shut up about it. And this isn't just an extrovert thing. This is a people thing. When something good happens in our lives, we tell people about it. We, we, we have this inclination to go and share that thing with others. You tell your family, you tell your friends, you tell your coworkers. If it's something really exciting, you'll tell random people in line at Target. You'll tell anyone that has ears. You have to share with other people this exciting thing that has happened in your life. And what's interesting is, is when you're excited about something, other people get excited about that same thing. When you're passionate, when you're fired up, when you're truly excited about something, it becomes so easy to share that thing with other people, and in turn, those people get excited about that thing as well. It's why you get roped into buying like 40 big boxes of Girl Scout cookies. It's why you do things like, even worse, you buy pizza kits. Anybody ever bought those Little Caesars pizza kits? You know what's interesting about that? No one has ever actually prepared one. We throw them in our freezer. Two years later, we go, where did this come from? It's all freezer burnt, and you just throw them into the garbage. It's why at Christmas time, you grandparents, you buy way too many presents for your grandkids. My kids are both under the age of two. They got so many gifts over Christmas that I'm pretty sure I could sell them on eBay, and we have enough money to feed the entire continent of Africa for like two weeks. It's obnoxious. It's why you donate to charities that you don't don't even know exist, but because your spazway coworker came up to you and was so fired up about it, before you know it, you're like, Ugh, you're just writing a check and throwing it at them. That, that, that excitement, it becomes so easy to convey that on other people. In other words, you could say it like this, our excitement is contagious. It's easy to sniff out. It's easy to tell if someone is being sincere, if someone is genuinely excited. And again, when someone is genuinely excited about something, it becomes so stinking contagious. So contagious. Which is why baptism is so great. Because we get snapshots into real people's lives, lives that have been completely transformed because of Jesus Lives that, that don't look the same before that they do now. Those people are excited that something has just happened in their life and they won't shut up about it. Something exciting has happened in their life and they have to tell other people about it. And in turn, it becomes contagious and it gets other people excited. People who are far from God. Look at these stories of life change. And this isn't some half-cocked theory that I have floating around in my head. I've seen this firsthand. People who are far from God, who are just beginning to take steps towards God, see these stories of life change, and whether they're even ready to give God credit or not, they look at that and they go, I want what that person has. It's one thing for me to get up here each week and talk about this stuff and get really excited about it, but those stories, when you get a firsthand glimpse of life change, it is so powerful. 
When we're able to see firsthand a life that has been completely transformed, that is so powerful, which is why every single time that I have ever heard, every single time that I've ever seen baptism talked about at a church, and I've seen it a handful of times, and the pastor gets up there or the communicator gets up there and he's like, hey, today we are going to be talking about baptism and nobody seems particularly excited, that's a bit of a head scratcher. I've never been to a church where the pastor gets up there and he's like, hey, today we're talking about baptism. And the crowd was like, woo, that's what I'm talking about. I've never even heard anybody say amen. I've never even got a couple sympathy claps. In fact, when I said today we're talking about baptism, none of you seem particularly excited about that. I didn't get so much as a grin, which tells me that just maybe, maybe, when it comes to baptism, we don't totally understand everything that's going on. But what's interesting about baptism is that virtually every single person in this room has an opinion about baptism, particularly if you grew up going to church. And interestingly enough, that opinion or those beliefs about baptism have likely been, and I know that this is, you know, I'm making a generalization here, and so there's probably a couple exceptions that are sitting in the room, but for the most part, those beliefs about baptism have been exclusively shaped by the church that you grew up going to and what they told you and what they demonstrated to you. I doubt very many of you at all woke up uh, one day and decided to do an in-depth study on baptism in a Bible. I, I doubt many of you opened up your scripture and said, okay, really, what does the Bible teach me about baptism? You've just assumed that whatever you were told by the church that you grew up going to was right, which it might just be, but perhaps, maybe, there might be some assumptions that are floating around in our head that aren't totally accurate when we compare that to scripture. And so as best as you can today, I want you to try to look at this subject with an open mind. Just be open. Be open to the possibility that maybe you don't know everything about baptism as we both examine what scripture teaches us on the subject as well as history. And the truth is, and I think you'll find this by the end of this, baptism really isn't all that complicated. It's actually pretty simple. It's pretty straightforward. But the fact is, is that people like me, and I'll take some responsibility for this, pastors and churches and people, we've made it that way. We've made it seem like this kind of ambiguous thing, but it's actually really simple. So before we go any farther here and we've got to dive into what baptism is all about, I'd like to pray for me and pray for you, so let me do that now. God, we thank you um, that you are pursuing every single person that is in this room today. And I, I just ask right now that people would feel that. That, that every person in this room would be at least open to whatever it is that you want to say to them today. We thank you uh, for what you're doing in this community. We thank you that Grumlaw gets to maybe be a, some uh, small way a part of that. And so again, God, we just ask that, that you would do what only you can do today. Uh, speak to us individually. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Now, the reason that baptism is a part of virtually every Christian organization, every Christian denomination is really because of one verse. And it's one of the most popular verses in all of scripture. And again, you don't really find any Christian organization saying, hey, you know, we don't believe in baptism. It's part of all of us because right before Jesus ascends into heaven, he kind of gives this one final charge to his followers. And we find this in the book of Matthew. It's the first book of the New Testament, the second half of the Bible. And again, this is Jesus talking. He says this, he says, go and make disciples of all the nations. He's saying, go and tell people about me. Go, go and spread my name to the ends of the earth and, and, and see if more people might be interested in following me. And then he says something kind of interesting. He says, baptizing them in the name of the Father and in the Son, talking about himself, which maybe would have sounded a little bit arrogant back then, and the Holy Spirit, baptizing them. 
Now, all Christians agree on this part, that you should be baptized, but it's kind of from this point forward that a lot of de- different denominations kind of head in a lot of different directions. Now, this morning, to kind of get a better understanding of baptism, we're, we're going to teach you a little Greek. So that's right, you're going to walk out of here so insanely intelligent. Tomorrow, you're going to be just flashing all this to your coworkers, okay? The word that we derive this word baptize and baptism from comes from this little Greek word called bop. Baptizo, baptizo, baptizo. Everybody say it with me. Baptizo. One more time. Baptizo, baptizo. Very good. You guys sound so smart. Again, you walk into work tomorrow. Baptizo, baptizo. Kind of sounds Italian. People are like, what are you talking about? Like, baptism? Duh. What did you do with your weekend? Anyway, now the New Testament. Uh, whether you know this or not, was actually originally written in Greek. And so when scholars began translating this originally Greek text into English, they would do a one-to-one translation, which is kind of how translation works. They go through and they take that word and they find its equivalent in the language that they are translating to, in this case from Greek to English, and they would replace those words. So they take that Greek word and they'd replace it with the English equivalent. However, whenever you're translating anything, there are certain words that don't really quite make the cut. There are certain words that there just aren't an English equivalent to. And so in those cases, rather than translating, they would transliterate. And you guessed it, baptizo is one of those words that they would sometimes transliterate. Now, for the four or five of you that are sitting here today that don't know the difference between translate and transliterate, I'm going to explain that real quick. Transliteration was the idea that when you got to a word that didn't have the English equivalent, what they would do instead is they would go to this word and they would find, and again, this is written in English, so this is not totally perfect, but if it was written in Greek, they would take, go through letter by letter and they would find the closest English equivalent for that letter. And essentially what they were doing is they were inventing new words. They were inventing words that didn't occur in the past in the English language. Now the problem with that when you do this, when you transliterate, is that sometimes those words will take on connotations that they didn't have in their original language. And baptizo is one of those words. When they would transliterate it to baptize or baptism, it automatically took on these religious connotations that it never really had in the Greek language. And I'm going to show you what I mean by that. Baptizo in Greek, go ahead and put the next slide up, Garrett. It means to wash, to plunge, to soak, to dip. It doesn't have any religious connotation whatsoever. People would baptizo their fruits and their vegetables when they'd pick them out from the field. People would baptizo their hands. People would baptizo their kids when they come in from the fields and they were dirty from being out there all day. Now, did that mean that they were baptizing their fruits and their vegetables so they could get into heaven? No. They were washing them. It took wash to plunge, to soak, to dip. They were washing their hands. That's what they were doing. They weren't actually baptizing them. Now, what makes this even more confusing here is that in our English Bible, sometimes the scholars, they would translate the word to wash, and other times they would transliterate the word to baptize. And I want to show you an example here of a time when they would translate the word to wash as opposed to transliterate. Um, Right here it says in the book of Mark, go ahead and put that next slide up there, um, The writer of Mark is talking about the Pharisees. So he says, when they, the Pharisees, which were these religious elite people, he says, when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. So here, they would actually translate the word. But again, the Greek word here that we translate from is baptizo. And they observe many other traditions, such as the washing of cups. And again, washing here is that same word, baptizo, that they would translate of cups, pitchers, and kettles. And again, they weren't baptizing their cups. They weren't baptizing their silverware. They weren't like, hey, we're not going to put it in the dishwasher today because we really like these cups and we want to see them in heaven with us. No, nothing like that. They would literally just be washing that, those things, okay? So in those cases, they would transliterate this. Now, the question is, when we see this, is how did this very common word that simply means to wash, to soak, to plunge, begin to take on such stark 
religious connotations? And I'll tell you why. That's a very good question. Um, Thousands of years before, and we see this all throughout the Old Testament, um, before Jesus ever stepped foot on the earth, it wasn't unusual at all in Israel, in Israel that Gentiles or non-Jewish people, they wanted to become Jews. They saw the Jewish way of living. They saw their, saw their custom and their religion. And they're like, hey, I-, I want this. Now, the Jews didn't just look at them and say, sorry about you. You're a Gentile. You weren't born into this. There's no way that you can become a Jew. In fact, they came up with a process where which a Gentile individual could become Jewish and they could claim Judaism as the religion. And it involved really five things. Number one, Um, It involved circumcision. Now, circumcision is this process where, I'm just kidding, I'm not going to tell you what circumcision is. If you don't know what that is, you can just Google that on the way home. Rude awakening coming your way. It's also for this reason that uh, most of the converts were females. That's a joke, too. I don't know that to be the case, but maybe. Uh, Circumcision, number one. Number two, they had to have a covenant meal, something like the Passover meal. Uh, Acknowledgement of the law, the law of Moses, which was this really thick book of do's and don'ts. And oftentimes, they would actually make these these converts, they'd make them memorize the law, which is an incredibly daunting task. Uh, There was usually some sort of sacrifice involved. And then lastly, pertinent to our conversation, they would have a ceremonial washing. Now, it's important to note that this ceremonial washing was always done in private. This was never some public affair that they went out and invited their friends and their family to. No, this was something that they always did alone. And the ceremonial washing represented, okay, I'm cleansing myself of my Gentileness. I'm cleansing myself of my sin, of my old way of living, and now I'm identifying with something new. And again, it was always done alone. And wouldn't you know it, the word that they would use in the Greek language to describe the ceremonial uh, washing was baptizo. Now, with all of that as the backdrop, At about 30 AD, this wide-eyed, crazy, smelly lunatic comes onto the scene. In fact, he shows up at the Jordan River at about 30 AD, and he starts yelling to everyone. And and the Jordan River, you have to keep in mind, back at, at this point in history, was a busy place. There were tons of people congregated at the Jordan River. He comes to the Jordan River, and this guy starts yelling to everyone, repent, repent, you better repent. Does anybody know who I'm talking about? You can shout it out. Anyone? John, okay, this guy named John, this guy John's coming around, he's yelling at everyone, repent, and he looks really crazy, but incredibly enough, he's actually quite captivating. As he's talking, people are actually listening to this message. He's telling everyone, hey, God is about to do something in our midst, and if you're not right with God, you're gonna miss it, so stop sinning and repent, and despite the fact, again, that he looked crazy, people are sitting there going, I kind of agree with what this dude's saying. I mean, is it just me, or does this actually make an incredible amount of sin? Now, John looks at him, and he says, no, 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 no. That's not going to cut it. If you, you can't just come up after my little shindig and whisper in my ear, hey, more power to you. You can't stand back in the crowd and every once in a while go, amen, preach. You can't just give me the Christian moo every once in a while. You can't just give me the mmm. Mm, right? Like, you got to give me a little bit more than that. In fact, if you identify with me and you say that you believe in what I'm talking about, I want you to come down into this river with me. I want you to declare to everyone. I want you to go public with this. And so what he would do to these people that would say, hey, I believe in what you're saying, John, he would take them down into the Jordan River. And we don't know exactly what happened down there. We don't know if he dunked them. We don't know if he splashed water in their face. We just know that water was involved in some way. He'd take, the, take them down into the river and he would, they would go public that, hey, we believe in what this guy is saying. Now keep in mind, 
This was a busy place. There would have been people washing dishes, drawing water for their animals. There were tons of people around, friends and neighbors and coworkers. So this wasn't just like this little deal that you did with four or five people there. All these people would have been watching on going, oh, dang, that guy agrees with John? That, that, that guy believes in what this guy is saying. They were truly going public that, hey, we, we believe in this stuff. They're symbolically washed, publicly declaring to everyone that would have been present that they now associate themselves with the teachings of John. Now, all these people that were looking on, watching this go down, they knew that there was something deeper going on than just literally washing dirt off of your body. There was something symbolic going on. These people were, were washing away the old, and now they were associating with something new. And remember, as we already alluded to, when a Gentile converted to Judaism, it was always done in private. And so this would have been the first time that anybody saw anything like this happen in public. And so it's for that reason they didn't call it baptizo. They, in fact, came up with a new word, baptistes, and hence how John got his nickname, John the Baptistes. And what's so cool about this is that this is the first time that we see this derivative of the word baptizo, and we never see it out of Christian, outside of Christian literature. And what this tells us is that when people saw what John the Baptist was doing, it was new. They had never seen it before, and so they go, we can't really call this baptizo because it's just so much different. So they literally came up with a new Greek word. They started it calling it baptistos, baptistes, rather. And thus, this is how this word became exclusively associated with what we now know today as baptism and how it took on such religious connotations. Now, one day, as John's doing his thing and he's telling everybody, repent, 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 and people are coming down and they're going into the Jordan River and he's baptistasing them. That's probably not the right way to say that, but whatever, right? He's on the river, he's doing all this thing. All of a sudden, he stops, and he turns pale as a ghost. And we just have to try to put ourselves in this moment. He's doing, he's yelling, just back. he's going crazy, telling everybody what's going on. And all of a sudden, he just freezes. And he goes, look. And wouldn't you know it, Jesus himself comes rolling up to the Jordan River to stand next to John. And he goes, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of this world. This is the one that I meant when I said, a man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me, which sounds incredibly confusing. But he was going, this is the guy that I have been talking about. When, when you said that you believed in everything that I was talking about, you decided that you were going to get baptistes by me, this is who you were putting your faith in. I mean, I wasn't expecting this to happen, but this is literally the dude. This is Jesus. This is the Son of God. And incredibly enough, Jesus comes walking up to John, and he tells him, hey, I want to get baptized. Now, all of our reactions would be the same as John, right? Like, uh, no, I'm not going to baptize the Son of God. That seems like way out of whack. It should probably be the other way around. But instead, Jesus insists and insists and insists, and eventually... John relents, and he baptizes Jesus. And a lot of you might even be familiar with that part of the story. I mean, imagine that moment for John. But whenever I've, I've read this and studied this, I always wonder, why did Jesus let that happen? I mean, why would Jesus get baptized by John? And it's huge, because Jesus knew that by being baptized, he would confirm and affirm all of those teachings that John had been raving about. It would have provided assurance for all of those people that took that step of faith and had already been baptized by John. All those people that were looking at this going, oh my gosh, I don't know if I should do this or not. And their family members are going, are you crazy? You are associating with John the Baptist? Have you seen that guy? He reeks. And in one moment, in one moment, 
by Jesus being baptized, he affirms all of that. And so, shortly after that, again, Jesus gets baptized. Um, shortly after that, his followers, they start going around and they start baptizing people who say, hey, yeah, we believe and we identify with this message of Jesus. They start getting baptized. And again, it was just their way of publicly declaring to everyone, hey, we're kind of washing away the old and now we are identifying with something new. We're identifying with the teachings of Jesus. And so originally, again, Gentiles are bap getting baptized by Jews in order to convert to Judaism. Then John the Baptist is baptizing all these people in the Jordan River. Now Jesus' followers are baptizing people who say, hey, okay, hey, we associate with Jesus. And then Jesus, before he ascends into heaven, he kind of gives everybody one final charge. He looks at everyone and he's like, okay, listen, when you go around and you start telling everybody about me and you get people nodding their head and you get people giving you the mm and the amens, and they say, hey, I believe in this. It's not enough that they just believe this stuff in their heart. They have to go public with this. Make sure that you baptize these people. They can't just say, okay, yeah, Jesus, I believe. No, no, no. Make sure that you baptize them. And so to summarize, baptism is a public declaration of a new association. I am now publicly identifying that I, I am now publicly declaring that I identify with Jesus. I believe that Jesus truly was the son of God. I believe that he came and that he died for my sins, that he didn't have to do that, but he didn't stay dead. In fact, he rose from the grave three days later. I believe in this guy that went around and drew such large crowds. I absolutely identify as a Christian. But also on top of that, baptism is also a personal declaration of a new association. When we read all throughout the New Testament, all these people that would go around and they would get baptized, people that were baptized were always people who decided on their own to follow Jesus, and in turn, they wanted to publicly identify with Jesus. It was never people that were forced to be baptized. It was always a personal decision. It was also always a personal declaration. It's for this reason that at Grumlaw, uh, we won't baptize infants because I've never met an infant that can tell me why they're being baptized. It's why if you were a child and you want to be baptized, that we'll give you that opportunity certainly, but if they can't really verbalize what's going on, why would we do that? Because it's a personal declaration of a new association. Now, I recognize, I don't want to breeze by that really quick, that for some of you, that can be a little bit irritating. Uh, especially if you grew up in a belief system that led you to believe that in order to ensure salvation, you have to be baptized. But the truth is, is that we don't see any evidence of that in Scripture. In fact, we see quite the op opposite. It's a public declaration of something that has happened on the inside. Jesus, when he's nailed to a cross, he has a criminal to a, his right, and he has a criminal to his left. And one of those criminals starts insulting him and mocking him, much like the people that were on the ground. And the other criminal stands up for him and tells him, hey, I believe in you. I, I, I actually believe in why you came. I believe that you are the son of God. And Jesus replies to him, he says, hey, today you will be with me in paradise. Now, did that guy have a chance to jump off the cross and go and get baptized? No. Did he have a chance to say, okay, Jesus, from this point forward, I believe in this. I'm not sinning anymore. I'm going to live my life differently. He's like, well, you're not really going to have a chance to do that. You're about to be dead in like five minutes. No, but he said, truly today, you will be with me in paradise. And so it's really, really important that we understand that baptism isn't a condition of salvation. It's evidence of salvation. It's why here we won't get hung up on the how, how you were baptized, whether you got submerged or whether you had water splashed in your face or whether it was, however it was done, that, that, that's not terribly important to us. We will do it by submersion, 
But that, that's not the important of the how. What we think is important is the when you decide to be baptized. And so if you're a Jesus follower and you're sitting here today and since making that decision to follow Jesus, you have not been publicly baptized, what in the heck are you waiting for? This is actually being obedient to what Jesus has called us to do. If you're sitting here today and maybe you've been hesitant to be baptized because you were baptized as an infant, or you were baptized as a child, or you were at a youth retreat, and you looked at your buddy, and you're like, I'll go if you go. And you guys went up, but let's be honest, it really wasn't that big of a decision. Get re-baptized since making that decision to follow Jesus. Don't let that be the thing to hold you back. I'll go as far as to say this, and I know this can maybe sound a little bit harsh, but it is so selfish to not get baptized. As I first talked about when I first got up here, when something exciting happens in your life, you tell people about it. And when you're excited about something, other people get excited about that thing. It is so contagious, and it's so, it's for this reason that you'll hear us say this all the time around here, particularly when we're talking about baptism. Go to that next slide here. When you share your story, it helps other stories be told. Chances are that on the Sunday where you are baptized, more people will hear your story that day than they will for the rest of your life combined. And you have no idea how God might use that story, your story of life change, to impact other people, to impact someone else. And that's why I'll say that, and I know it sounds harsh, but it's so selfish to not do this. It's so selfish to keep that to yourself. It's time to go public. So, if you haven't been baptized... What are you waiting for? And we want to give you some opportunities to actually sign up for this. So one, as Andrea mentioned, we told you not to put your Connect cards in the buckets. If you did, not the end of the world. But on your Connect cards, there's a little box that actually says baptism. And we'd love for you to check that box. And on the way out, drop that in the offering buckets. The ushers are going to be standing at the doors or swing it by Grumlaw Central, that table right around the corner. But we try to make this even easier. If you've never been baptized before, another thing that you can do is you can email baptism at grumlaw.com. That email is going to come up on the screen there. And all we need is your name, your phone number, and your email. And we'll be in touch with you. You don't have to give us a long paragraph explaining why you're doing this. No, no, no. Just literally send us your information. Do this. It's being obedient to what God, what Jesus has already commanded us to do. Now, last thing here, before we move on, I want to address this. Uh, some of you might be sitting here today, and you're new to this whole Christianity thing. Maybe you walked in here on a whim. Maybe you're going to work out, and you stepped into this room, and you're like, what the heck? That was the biggest waste of 30 minutes of my life because I'm not a Jesus follower, so this isn't terribly pertinent to me. Hopefully, hopefully this is exciting news for some of us. Hopefully this is freeing in some way. That by being baptized, that doesn't ensure your salvation. Jesus actually makes it far easier than that. In the book of Ephesians, another book that we find in the New Testament of the Bible, um, Jesus make, uh, not Jesus, there's this profound statement here that, that has such huge implications for all of our lives. It says this, it says, For by grace... Because of, because of God's mercy and God's grace and God's forgiveness, you have been saved through faith. Because you believe that Jesus is who he said he was. You believe that, that, that Jesus came and he died for your sins. That he didn't have to do that, but he did that as a way to get us out of the own mess that we had created for ourselves. It's because of his grace and his mercy because we believe in him. And this is not your own doing, just in case you forgot. 
It is the gift of God. It is a gift that God has given every single one of us. It's not a result of works, not a result of what you've done so that no one may boast. You don't have to get caught up in doing specific things. You don't have to follow certain rituals to end up in heaven. Jesus simplified this so much when he came and he died for you. It's the entire idea of Jesus being said. God wanted to make this as insanely simple as possible. And because it's so simple, we often miss it. Because it's almost impossible to comprehend that the most high God would make the standard so easy that he would look at us in the mess that we had created for ourselves. And he would say, hey, the way that you are called righteous, the way that you can gain a right standing with me isn't determined by what you do. It's not determined by who you're related to. No, no, no. It's so much simpler than that. It's trust. Will you trust me? Do you believe that I sent my son for you to ransom you from your mistakes, from your sins? It's trust. God made it so simple. And so in the same way that I'm asking all the people that are Jesus followers in this room, why the heck aren't you getting baptized? I want to ask you who's sitting here today that is maybe just on that faith journey and you've been reluctant to finally give God the control. What are you waiting for? Give him that control. Begin that relationship with him today. He longs to have that relationship with you. And again, it's not because he arbitrarily wants control. No, it's so much better than that. He wants your life to be better. And he knows the most purpose-filled, joy-filled life imaginable awaits you when you would just begin that relationship with him. So what are we waiting for? My hope is that we get a ton of people to sign up to be baptized this morning, but not so that we can boast about that and say, look at all these people that signed up. No, no, no. So much better than that. It gets me excited thinking about how your story is going to impact other people and help other stories be told. Let me pray for us.